Joel chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're going to begin. And we're going to read on down to the end of the chapter. So if you want to go back and read from 1 down to 22 later, then you'll have a chapter for Sunday. But uh, it's going to be Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Uh, Starting, yeah, verse 12. It says, Therefore now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and, great, and of great kindness, and repent Him of the evil, who knoweth if He will return and repent and leave a blessing behind Him even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom come, uh, go, forth out of his, uh, go forth of his chamber and the bride of the, her closet. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine, uh, give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil. Ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will, uh, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beast of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down uh, for you the rain, uh, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts had eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I have sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never, uh, shall never be ashamed, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am, in the, I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonder, uh, wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion 
and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. We're going to title this lesson, Gateway to the Presence of God. And where the verses that we read was there in Joel, that was the prophecy of what was to come. Not only of Jesus, but the, of, the, of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So uh, what it's talking about there is the outpouring of the Spirit on God's people. And what he's wanting to uh, point out is that in the Old Testament, God would choose one or two men, or maybe several at a time, I don't really know. But he would choose specific men, uh, men or women, to put his spirit on. That he would dwell, uh, put his Holy Spirit on them to give them the ability to do the things uh, that God wanted. He would put it on prophets so that they would speak uh, prophecy into uh, different things, different uh, cities and uh, different situations. But it was not for everybody. It was not available just for everybody to receive. And the prophecy that he's speaking of is also talking about that ability through Christ that we can be indwelled with the Spirit of God, right? So that's what this prophecy is. But we're going to talk about specifically how that relates to us uh, and so, uh, and what God is going to do now. What God is going to do in the future. And not so much about what God has already done, but we're going to look forward, right? Because we already understand that Christ died for us, that receiving salvation, accepting Christ into our lives, uh, we died to this world, this old man, and was born again in Christ, and His Spirit dwells in us. So knowing that, so knowing that, but He still desires to pour His Spirit out on all flesh. That's what He said. On all flesh that He's going to pour His Spirit out. And how He's going to do that is through you and I. He's going to use us to do that. And that is what, that's one thing we must understand, is that it will be through you and me that other people come to know Christ. It's going to be looking through our life, at our life, is how people are going to know Jesus. We are the gateway into the presence of God. Whenever another youth, whenever a visitor comes, they should see Christ because they see through the gates that we are. We are the gateway into the presence of God. We must, uh, we must be that because otherwise whenever people look at us, they don't see anything different in us. They won't see anything different between you and me and uh, between uh, us and, and uh, the, local, the local drunk. There's no difference between us because we're not extraordinarily good people. We're not perfect people. And they know that. But the difference will be is whenever they look at you and they see Christ Himself. That must be what they see. So God, knowing uh, God with His intentions, Jesus' intentions was to give you that so that you could be that gateway. So that people could come to you and they would know Jesus because they know you, right? So knowing God demands a human vessel, we must give ourselves to be that vessel. In Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 6 and 8, and I forgot to mark that, but uh, uh, it's prophecy that uh, it, it's searching after who is willing to go. It's a, it's a vision that Isaiah has seen. And uh, he's, uh, God is asking who's willing to go, and Isaiah is standing there and he says, Here I am, send me. So knowing that God desires to use a human vessel, it is up to us to be willing to submit to that calling, right? Yeah. To be willing to submit to that. Uh, knowing that God wants to use you as a gateway into the presence of God, you must submit to that calling. You must submit to that, to that unction from God that He desires people to see Christ in you. 
If they don't see Christ in you, it's because you're unwilling to allow Christ to live His life through you, right? If you're saved, if you have acknowledged the salvation that Christ offered and accepted that, the only reason they do not see Jesus is because you're unwilling to accept that call. So we must submit and say, God, send me. Send me to Cassville or whatever school you go to, whatever group you're involved in. Send me to be that gateway for people to look in, to enter into the presence of God. That is the calling that He's putting on us. If we want to be the vessel, we must know we are the temple of God. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 16, uh, it says that... Uh, It says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So I I mentioned that briefly already. That we are the temple of God. That if you are born again, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. And that is what people must see. He, He must be moving actively in us. People must be able to look at us and see Jesus. Because we are that temple. Jesus no longer, or God no longer, dwells in a structure. In the Old Testament, He dwelt in the tabernacle and then dwelt in the temple when it was built. But now He doesn't dwell in a building made by hands. He's made, he dwells in a temple, which is you and me. He dwells in us, that vessel. So he, is, he must be in His life through us. He's conforming us into His ideal vessel, which is Jesus, right? Yeah. The Word was made flesh in Jesus. John 1 and 14 says that the Word, uh, that the word became flesh. Everybody's somewhat familiar with that scripture, right? So now God desires to make us into the holy of holies by making us the temple of God. We've talked about it in the past, about in that tab- in the tent, in the tabernacle, there was a holy of holies. There was a veil that divided uh, the common people from the presence of God. But Jesus rent that veil when He died, right? His, on His death, whenever He died on the cross, the veil was rent exposing the Holy of Holies. Jesus now, or God's plan now, is to make you and I that Holy of Holies. Whenever people see us, they must feel the holiness of God. They must look into our lives and see that we are something greater than this world has to offer. They must see that there's something more precious and more valuable than anything they've ever seen. And it says that uh, when the Scripture says that the Word became flesh, that being Jesus, if Jesus dwells in us, then He is conforming us. The, The idea that Jesus dwelling in us, us being led by the Spirit, is that Jesus is conforming us, or the Spirit of God is conforming us into that image of Christ. Jesus was the only one perfect. He was the only person that was sinless, right? He was the only one that lived a sinless life. He's the only person that ever lived on this faith, on the face of this earth that is worthy of heaven. Mm-hmm. G, uh, God, the Bible says that no, no sin will enter into, to, into heaven, right? So if no sin can enter in, how is it that you and I will enter in? Because you and I will not enter in, but we will enter in as Christ, right? Because Christ is in us and we are in Christ. We now become one flesh. 
with Jesus, right? Just like it talks about in the, in the, uh, in the Bible about marriage, that a, a husband and wife coming together uh, and becoming married, now they become one flesh. Everything, every choice I make affects Chelsea. Every choice she makes affects me. And that is the image of what we are with Christ. We are born again. We have become one flesh with Jesus. We are acceptable in the eyes of God, not because we do good, but because of Jesus, right? So as He conforms us into His image, He is conforming us into holiness. He is conforming us into a place that people can come to and they can see the holiness of God. They must see the holiness of God. So it is in you and I that God wants to reach this generation. Uh, in the story of Esther, uh, Mordecai, her uncle, everybody's pretty familiar with the story of Esther. But Mordecai told Esther whenever she became queen, right? She was just a commoner and the king had to find a new queen and, and, and by uh by being ordained of God or and by selection, she was selected queen and she was placed in uh, 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 placed in the kingdom uh, with the king. So Mordecai told her that whenever uh, uh, Naaman decided to put a decree against the Jews that uh, kind of craftily convinced the king to put a decree a degree decree if I can talk right anyway. Uh, put out a statement, uh, a law allowing people to kill the Jews, right? Because he, he did it in such a way that it kind of deceived the king. But he, he has this commandment, this law written that is unchangeable, that people are allowed to kill the Jews and take everything they want, that, or everything they own. So Mordecai being a Jew and Esther being a Jew, uh, Mordecai goes to Esther, still having contact with her, goes to her and tells her what happened and what, what is going to be done and tells her that God had placed her in that position to save the Jews from death. Jesus, or God placed Esther in that kingdom next to the king for a purpose, and that was to save the Jews, right? So also, he is also, uh, also if she... Uh, he told her that if she refused the act, uh, if she refused that act, that deliverance would come from somewhere else. He reassured her that even if she doesn't take part in this, God will deliver the Jews from this terrible thing with or without her. So if she refused to do it, they were going to be saved. She just wasn't going to have any part in it. Yeah. So what's amazing there is that, uh, is that the same calling for you and I, God has placed you here. His sport, His Spirit will be poured out on, uh, poured out on His people. And the question is, will you choose to be a part, uh, be a part of that, and be used by Him? Yeah. Will, are you, are you willing to be a part of that? Do you care to be a part of that? And Acts, uh, better yet, let's turn to the right spot. So. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see that they waited on God to fulfill His promise. Yes. Sorry, let's back up. Let's forget that part. But, uh, so the question is, is whether or not we will allow ourselves to be used of God for that purpose. He's placed you here in this church for a purpose. You're not here just simply uh, to kill a Wednesday night. You're not here just to be here on Sunday school just because your parents make you. 
You're here for a purpose. God has called you to that to perform something. He wants you to learn of something. He hasn't saved you just simply to go to heaven, but he has saved you to reach the people at school, right? He saved you to reach your family. He saved you with a purpose, and that purpose will be carried out with or without you. Whether you choose to do it or not, the people God intends to save at Cassville School will be saved, but it will have nothing to do with you if you choose to refuse the will of God, right? Yes, but if you choose to, will, choose to walk in the will of God, this is what we can expect. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see that they, pray, that they waited on God to fulfill His promise. In Acts chapter 2, that is whenever the Holy Ghost came. This is after Jesus died, and He said that He would send His Spirit. This is the Spirit that Jesus was, talk, or that was talking about in the prophecy there. The Spirit being poured out on all flesh. The Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of that, the day of Pentecost. People, uh, you're probably more familiar with that. But they waited on that. So likewise, we must be patient. Uh, God promised an outpouring uh, of, his, of His Spirit in the last days. And He will perform that, right? Yeah. That Spirit will be poured out. It's a matter of time. So as we wait on God for Him to use us, uh, we must remember that we will, we, we will be used of God to reach the people. James, uh, James chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. And until he received the early and latter rain, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Uh, but in order for us to be a part of this, in order for us to know what the will of God, we must come to know God in a way He desires us to know Him. In order for this will, for this, the, the perfect plan of God to be brought forth in you and I, in order for us to be able to reach the people that He's called us to reach, in order for you to reach people at school, reach people in your family, or for us to reach you all, we must come to know God in the way He desires us to know Him. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22 and 23, Jesus is talking. And he says that many will say unto me in the day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So we're looking at people that are coming to Jesus, coming to God on judgment day. Saying, have I not done all these things? I've cast out demons. I've done these great works. Why, uh, I've done all this stuff in your name, and yet Jesus is looking at them and saying, I've never known you. Mm. I never knew you. Yeah. How can that be? They did all these great things. Yeah. So where is the problem there? That, that is our point there is that we must know God the way He wants us to know Him. Our simple uh, understanding that Jesus died on the cross for to save us of our sins may not be all of the knowledge that He desires us for uh, to have of him. So Jesus, uh, the word Jesus used in, in that scripture is new. And in the Greek, it is uh, genos, genosko, something like that. It means to learn to know, uh, to learn to know, come to know, get a knowledge of, perceive, or feel. It's also used 
as, as a Jewish uh, idiom, whatever that means, uh, for marital intimacy. Is that how you say it? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, so it, it, it's like a figure of speech, maybe. Uh, anyway, so it's also used for marital intimacy. It is a, it's, the word that he used was something greater than just, I know, I know Lane. No, it's a word that I would use whenever I say, I know Chelsea. Because I know more about her. I know a deeper knowledge of her. I know things about her nobody else knows. She knows things about me that nobody else knows. We have opened ourselves up to one another uh, in such a way that is beyond uh, what everybody else knows about us, right? It's, a, it's not just a simple, I know her, but it's an in-depth, I know her, right? So that is the know that Jesus is talking about. He, you can't just know of Jesus. Yeah. You may be able to go out and do great things in Jesus' name. But if you never know Jesus, yeah. if you never come to a great knowledge of really who he is, yeah. if he's not a part of you and you are not a part of him, then you don't really know who he is. Yeah. So before you think to yourself, I know Jesus, now all I have to do is perform the actions that will make me a gate for others to enter into this presence. Uh, you must realize that it is uh, not the action that, change pe- that changes people's lives, but it is the Spirit of God in you, yeah. right? You can't just simply go out and witness. Yeah. That may be profitable to an extent, but it will not change people's lives. Mm. You must know who it is that you're talking about. You can't go and tell somebody you need Jesus. That doesn't do any good. If you've ever tried it, you'll know. If you've ever done it in yourself and you were just... Telling somebody they need Jesus is no different than telling it in a joking manner, right? If you're just giving them a hard time, you know what, you need Jesus. That is just as useful as if you go and tell them that they need Jesus without knowing who Jesus is. Yeah. Uh, so we see the example that Esther gave. She accepted the call, but knowing she was not capable uh, to soften the king's heart, she called a fast and sought God. So when, uh, after Mordecai told Esther to go, uh, go talk to the king about this matter, about the Jews being killed, she was not able to actually enter into the king's court. She could have been killed for that. If the king didn't ask you to come to him, you were able, uh, the law allowed him to have you executed because he didn't ask you to come. But unless he lowered his scepter to you, if he lowered his scepter, then he allowed that to ha- allowed you to come in and you were okay. So it was really a 50-50 chance whether or not he would have her executed. So, uh, what we see here is that Esther knew that she was not going to be able to bring this before the king in a way that would change his heart. So she began to seek God. She called a fast and spent a time of prayer. So it is not just simply accepting the call uh, to, to reach people or to be that gate uh, into the presence of God, not to be that person. It's a uh, not as simple just to accept the fact that Jesus wants to use you, but it is to know Christ, right? Yes. It is not just in saying, okay, I know that I must minister Jesus to other people, but you must know Jesus, the one you are ministering of, right? Uh, it is knowing when to fast, when to pray, and when to rejoice, and when to weep. It is knowing the heart of God. It is not good enough just to pray. But you must know when to pray. Mm. 
right? You must be drawn into prayer. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough to fast, but you must know when to fast. Mm-hmm. You must know when to rejoice, when to have a good time, when to shout and praise God, and when to weep for people. Yeah. You must know that. God must put that in you. You must, be, uh, you must come to know the heart of God. It is looking at the call and saying, if I perish, I perish, but the will of God must be performed. If uh, It may come down to, uh, if I look crazy or stupid or strange or weird, I will show this world Jesus, yeah. regardless of what people think of me. I know that in high school, that uh, uh, whether you'll admit it or not, what's very important is your self-image, what people think of you. You must be on the end with your group. I don't care if you're the cool kid, but the people that you are friends with, you care about what they think, regardless if your friends are the losers that everybody else points to, right? It doesn't matter what your group of friends are. You care about what they think. So it must not matter what they think. It must come to the point that if I lose all my friends and I'm sitting alone at lunch with nobody to talk to, they must know who Jesus is. It must come to that point. And it must, we must know who this Jesus is. Do you know him like that? Do you know the heart of Jesus? Do you know what it is that brought Jesus to the point that said, though I be nailed to a cross and die, this world must know what salvation is. That's what Jesus came to. Jesus looked at this world and he said, though I be nailed and beaten, brutally murdered before people, nailed to a cross and actually experiencing death, even though all that will come against me, it does not matter because people must know what salvation is. Have you, do you know Jesus like that? Are you willing to lay down your life in order for the people you know to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? That is the calling. That is knowing the heart of God. But how do we come to know the heart of God? This knowing Jesus intimately only comes from a relationship, right? I only know, I only know Chelsea intimately, intimately by having a relationship with her. I know all the weird little things that for whatever reason, when she eats tortilla chips, she likes to have one in each hand, like a little kid. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I know that. How do I know that? Because I have a relationship with her. If I did not have a relationship with her, I would not know that. You didn't know that. You know why? Because you don't have a relationship with her, right? So it doesn't come from a thousand prayers or one prayer, but it comes from a hunger to pray. To know Jesus doesn't come from the fact that you spend a lot of time in prayer with Him, but it comes from the, the fact that you desire to know. Uh, it comes from a desire to pray. It's not how much you know about the Bible, but how much you want to know about it, right? It's not how much I uh, it's not how much I know about Chelsea that dictates whether or not I know her. It's the fact that I desire to know her, right? It was what it wasn't that I knew everything about her that made me want to marry her, right? It was that I wanted to know more about her. Right? You don't know everything about a person or you shouldn't know everything about a person until you are married. You shouldn't know the secret things of them. You shouldn't know their nakedness. You shouldn't know their touch. You shouldn't know their intimate things like that until you are married. And it's because the desire to want to know that is what brings you into a relationship, right? 
if you didn't want to know what, uh, if Lane didn't want to know what Kyron's favorite color was, he wouldn't be in a relationship with her, right? He's not in a relationship with her because he knows her favorite color. He could know Lexi's favorite color, but he doesn't have a relationship with her. He has a relationship with Kyron. And that's why he knows what her favorite color, if he knows. I don't know. I don't want to bring that up. Anyway, <laughs> so, so it's not a performance-based salvation. So it's also not a performance-based calling, right? People are not going to look at you and see Jesus by something you do, right? Or by something that you know. So as you seek the heart of God, you will realize how desperately wicked you are. The closer you get to God, the more you realize you are distant from Him. The closer you get to holiness, the more you realize how unholy you really are. So, uh, but it is when, you can, uh, when your confidence in yourself crumbles that you begin to rely on the Spirit of God. If you desire for people to see Christ in you, it is not you performing it, but it will come to the point that you, are, you realize that you are incapable of them seeing the presence of God in you, that you give up on all your abilities, and you completely rely on the Spirit of God. It comes to that point. So complete submission to the Spirit of God. That is where God will begin to use you in the calling He has given you. It's not whenever you begin to pray more. It's not when you begin to read more or whenever you do more good things or that you witness more. It's whenever you completely submit to the Spirit of God in whatever shape that may be, in whatever capacity that may be. It might be just a submission and simple things of, uh, I don't know, spending less time on social media. If God is dealing with you in that, submission to that is whenever God is going to lead you into the calling that He has. And it is when we patiently allow Him to do that work in us. Whenever we patiently allow Him to conform us and to change us into His image is when we are going to be used of God. It is at that time. It's not going to be in our ability. And it's not going to be that I'm doing better or that I'm trying harder but it's going to be because I want to know Jesus more. I want to spend more time with Him. I want to reach more people. I want people to come to know Christ. I want them to see Christ when they see me. When, it's that, when that's your desire, that's when God will begin to use you. That's when God will begin to change the lives around you simply because of what He's doing in you. Not because of what you're doing for them, but because of what He's doing in your life. So... If we, uh, we've probably got plenty of time to pray. Uh, I don't really know. So if you want to come and pray, uh, this is a good opportunity to, we will, we will pray for you for whatever need. If it's completely uh, unrelated to what we're talking about, to what this lesson is, it doesn't matter. You can come and pray. If it's for salvation, come and pray. If it's just you have a burden, come and pray. It does not matter what it is. But if you desire to get a hold of God, Now's the good time. Don't wait till you get home. Now is a good time. Why? Because if you're going to, you really want to come to know Christ, it requires a humbling situation. It requires a humble spirit. God will not accept you in your pride. If you're too cool to come and kneel at an altar in front of people, then you're probably too cool for Jesus. Mm. That's the point. 
Jesus was hanging naked on a cross for you. Yes. He was humiliated for you. So why would we not humble ourselves and be willing to say, you know what, I don't care what everybody thinks. I'm going to get a hold of God. I don't care what anybody's going to say about me. I'm going to minister Christ to them. I don't care what the repercussions are. I just want to know Jesus. It's in that moment that we will know God. So if you want to come pray, you can. Uh, can we just stand, please?